morning, everyone. Well, you're all so far away from me. <laughs> Social distancing, right? <laughs> you know, I'm so thankful. In fact, we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning, too. So if you would, please turn with me to, uh, we'll start off with in uh, uh, Psalms 36, uh, our, our verse for, for this lesson. We're going to uh, introduce uh, our, our next uh, set of lessons into uh, First and Second Thessalonians. And so we're going to kind of do a review when we were in the book of Acts, of when Paul and Silas were uh, in uh, Thessalonica. But uh, Psalms 36, uh, verse 5, it says, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the unto the clouds let's pray father we thank you again for uh the day that we have that we can uh, set aside come together uh, uh as a corporate group to worship and sing songs up to you and to study your word and to apply it to our lives uh throughout this uh, walk on this earth father i i do thank you for each and every one that's here thank you for those that are at home we do think of of those that are uh, not doing, feeling well. Uh, we think of Lori uh, with, and Ron home. Uh, pray your hand of uh, healing be upon Lori for, uh, for the situation. Comfort Ron during this time. I pray that you would just uh, guide and direct through that. We think of others that, we, that might be uh, not doing well. And Father, during this time uh, that people are, are separating uh, through social distancing, uh, thank you for the technologies that we have now where we can stream our services. I thank you that uh, there are those that are able to meet here. Father, we just pray that uh, your word will be used wisely in our lives. May you uh, have full control of all the services. May they glorify you in all that we do. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Also, uh, for the for the Bickishes, want to <laughs> keep them in mind while while we're uh, there over uh, visiting uh, Chris's sister, and uh, they sent a picture yesterday. Evidently, got some time up on the lake, a nice time of relaxation there above Boise. Um, I passed out what's called faithfulness evaluation. It's a self evaluation. We'll not go through it, uh, but I I do want you to look at it uh, and be honest with yourselves. Uh, and if, you know, maybe next week, if some of you feel like you want to share some of the opportunities this might have given you, uh, I, I look forward to, to, for that uh, chance there. I know I'm going to work through it because I know that now, during this time that uh, we're going through all these mandates, and we're going to, again, discuss a little bit about them as we introduce this, but we need to be faithful. And uh, a verse, uh, Psalms 36.5, talks about faithfulness. And when we, when we think about that, you know, of course, on the front of that evaluation is a postman, you know. And uh, how many of us have seen post workers following their motto? Neither rain nor sleet nor snow will stop the mail from coming through. Most of us have seen that. You know, some times, you know, there's ones that get out there and 
when they say they think it's too warm, they probably won't want to deliver the mail or something like that. But oftentimes, it's a struggle for a mail person to deliver the mail. Think back in the days of the Pony Express. That was definitely, uh, you know, the mail must get through, you know, and, and no matter what. I, I don't know how long it took for a letter to get from the East Coast out to the frontier lands of Oregon, but it did get here eventually. Of course, nowadays, you know, we've got email. Uh, we've got, you know, uh, postal such that overnight express, you know, a package can get from one point to another. But, you know, what would happen if we decided that, you know, we wanted to serve the Lord when it was convenient? You know, it's something to think about with, with faithfulness. And I was looking through, uh, there was a, a definition that I found. You know, faithfulness is fidelity, loyalty, firm adherence to allegiance and duty. You know, is, is faithfulness to a subject or something like that. Truth, veracity, faithfulness to God, strict adherence to injunctions and the, to the duties of a station. You know, faithfulness of servants and ministers. Uh, another one is strict performance of promises, vows, covenants, consistency and affection as a faithfulness of a husband and wife. You know, and, and you know, when, when we think on those lines, that, that it's, that's what God is looking for. He's looking for faithful servants. Um, another thing to, that comes to mind uh, that is dealing with uh, <clears throat> convenience or inconvenience, flat tires. You know, how many of us have had a flat tire at one time or another in our lives? <laughs> you know, do they happen when you expect them to? Oh, no. You know, I've, and, and it's usually when we are needing to get somebody somewhere then. And, of course, nowadays, I mean, most tires are pretty durable and, and usually last pretty much. Uh, I remember in Hawaii, um, when we used to, where we used to get our tires taken care of, they had a whole wall of things that they found in tires. And it was amazing. They found things like knives and forks. One person found a doorknob that had actually gone and punctured a tire. The, the stem came up and, you know, but they had a whole list. I mean, things you wouldn't even think of. Things that, that can't puncture a tire. Sure enough, they found them in there. But, but, but they happen, you know, and, and you know, the, it's the inconvenience uh, of, of it happening. Finding the spare tire, because some people have no clue where that spare tire is located. Ask a millennial how to change a tire. You know, Brian's got his anti-theft device in his vehicle. You know, it's a manual transmission. Brother Chris has the same thing. You know, it's an anti-theft device. In fact, I saw a sticker one person put right on the side of their vehicle. Some of them don't know how to change a tire. What do they do? They sit there beeping away on the phone trying to get somebody out there to take care of them. And of course, you know, but it's, it's like, you know, the most people though stay there with the car they just don't abandon it although i know some people that figure ah, fine that's the last thing i want to take care of on this car and just walk away no they don't do that but you know it, it, it's just like us serving the lord 
something happens to make it inconvenient, some people, well, that's it, I'm, I'm tired, I'm, I'm tired of doors being slammed in my face. But here, the, 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 this verse talks about, you know, the mercies of the Lord are in heaven. You know, can you imagine, you know, in our infinite or our finite mind, do you think mercy is going to happen in, in heaven? Do you think God's going to need to have mercy on us in heaven? No. It's here on earth. His mercy toward us is, is because we are sinful. You know, mercy toward a lost and dying world. Sending Jesus Christ to the cross. Him willingly dying for us, for the sins of the world. But it's faithfulness. It's that truthfulness that he has. And we've studied in, in Corinthians about the faithfulness of what's going to happen when we get that resurrected body. God's promises. He's faithful to us. It's oftentimes us that is not faithful to him. And we, we also realize that our faithfulness is on display before God. And it's on display before everybody around us. You know, some people will go, why do you always do what you do? Why do you go to church every Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday? Why do you go out and knock on doors regularly? It's because we want to be faithful. Well, I don't remember what number it is, but you know, there's one of those songs, I want to be faithful. I want to be true. And, and it's because we are being watched. And people will use that against us if we're not faithful. You know, there, and there's times when we need to do things where we're not going to be in church. But if we have the opportunity, if we're traveling, we will find a church. Most every one of us, I believe at least those here, if we're traveling and, and we're not going to be, you know, at our home church, we're going to find a church on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. Or, you know, if, unless, unless we're traveling in the, in the midst of travel, then we're going to find time to spend in there. But, but when we think about the faithfulness of the Apostle Paul, we're studying going through his epistles now. There are times when it wasn't convenient for him to preach. It wasn't convenient for him to go from one place to another. We think, you know, uh, of, of his time in, in uh, various jails, various times of him getting beaten, times when he was spending uh, in a storm, lost at sea, he would go through a whole myriad of those. But when we look at that faithfulness, <clears throat> we in the United States are fortunate and you know the stay in the course is what this whole series is about of staying the course and as we get further and further we're going to find out why Paul had to write uh, the the books of of uh, the letters uh, of, of Thess uh, the Thessalonians and it's important to understand that today we're being challenged the same way and so it's, you know, neither rain nor sleet nor snow. And we're going to look in a review back in, in, uh, in Acts 17. So if you'll turn there with me, you know, kind of put your finger there. But we're going to, in the little bit of time we have left, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe get to that. But we're going to have a short civics lesson. How many know what the First Amendment is all about? 
Nobody knows what the First Amendment is. No, it's all, that's a kind of a rhetorical question. Stephanie, did you get to teach that to the little kids in school? Or did it ever come up? A fifth grade, okay. But, you know, it's, it's something that every one of us are being challenged with today. You know, and, and, you know, our faith is being challenged because of a lot of the mandates and executive orders that have been coming out throughout the state here. You know, I, I had to kind of chuckle. We, we talk uh, about the Calvinism and kind of pick on... Uh, John uh, uh, MacArthur, and but he made a statement down in California that because the governor said you will not meet in church, your churches will not meet, and you can't even sing. So he says, I don't care. He says I'm going to meet in entirety. I'm inviting my whole congregation. Yeah, I thought it was great. Of course, immediately the governor and the local mayors and everybody goes, we're going to come in there we're going to fine you we'll even throw you in jail if we have to but he says hey I believe in what God has told us to do we're to meet you cannot tell us not to meet and that's what's wonderful about uh, you know the first amendment you know all, all these restrictions when you really think about them really falls under are you willing to submit to somebody other than God you know, we're, we're told in Scripture that we're to obey God and to obey man until man transgresses God's laws. We're to pay our taxes. We're to, we're to vote. We're to obey the, the laws out, that are out here. But when it comes to things like murder, abortion, a whole variety of those that transgress God's laws, we cannot support them. And, and so that's important. And, you know, when we look at the First Amendment, it says, Congress shall not, shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion. In other words, talking about a state religion, like many European countries have. If you're not of their state religion, you get to pay taxes to support that church. You know, I think of the Weimers up in Iceland. Part of their church has to give money to a state church so if you're not a state church you have to pay a tribute it's wrong but that's how the laws are so mom do it. it says or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech so you know what talks about the exhibiting the free exercise of us thankfully we can obey what the governor has laid out we social distance we our our numbers don't it well, currently the way we are won't exceed their mandate you know we have some folks that are staying home because they just say hey I, I'm, I'm going to stay at home but we have a tool for them they can gather around their computer and they can observe the services there are a lot of churches <clears throat> that have said, fine, we'll, we'll just obey them. And their people were gladly attending services online. But they knowing that sooner or later we're going to get to meet together. A friend of ours in Connecticut, they're now where they're having churches in their pavilion. It's outdoors. It's covered, but it's open on the sides. 
the state of Connecticut has made it to where you cannot meet indoors over a period of time. So they're, they're obeying as best they can, but they're not going to stop services. California's saying, oh no, you don't have services. You can't do that. And there's some federal rules come, or federal uh, lawsuits that are being evaluated on that. Some states have said, yeah, you can do that, but you can keep the bars open. You can keep the stores open. You can even protest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It says the other, it says, or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of people to peacefully as to assemble. Okay. Talks about a riots up in Portland. No, no, the protests in Portland. They're peaceable, right? Some of them are. You know. And then the to petition the government for redress of grievances. That means we can go and tell our government we don't agree with what you're doing. That's our vote. But what's interesting about these is this is protecting our right. Many countries around the world don't have that. They're not protected. Oh, yeah, you're protected if you go to this church or you go to that church, the one that we've determined that you will go. Or, oh, by the way, you have to register your church. And some people think when you incorporate, you're registering your church, you're not really. There's some, some, some rules about that. But the wonderful thing about this is, and, and Christian Law Association has printed essays and pamphlets and books about assemblies. So remember, if you want to meet peaceably, there are other groups that get to meet peaceably. And, and I say the term peaceably. You know, we're talking of groups that we don't agree with, as long as they're peaceful. And it's important to realize also that the government cannot come in and say, I want a list of all your members. Certain groups out there that will not give their list, you know, if they come and ask for us, no, we're not going to give them a list of people. It's private. Because what are they going to do? They're going to use it against you. And, and that's very important for us to realize in this time that we're being challenged to see how faithful we really are. Are we willing, are we willing to die to get the gospel out? Well, the Apostle Paul, I mean, how many times did he get beat? He got thrown in jail, you know? And I don't think he was in there just for, you know, I don't, I don't think he got a you know, slap on the shoulder and thrown in jail. I think he was bleeding profusely. His clothes were probably ripped wide open. Yet, they stayed there. What they do? They sang hymns and praises. And when we talk, you know, the, the Philippian jailer got saved and his family. It impressed the, them. And of course, the Apostle Paul, being the very smart man that he is, pointed out to the magistrates that I'm a Roman citizen. You, can, you, you weren't supposed to do that to me. And that kind of embarrassed him a little bit. And they told him to leave town. Well, he did leave town. Not, I don't think he left overly quietly, but he left town. And as a result, you know, he, he was following you know, the right to petition the government for redress of grievances and you know, was asking to be relieved of, of the wrong that was done. They wanted him to quietly leave town. He goes, no, 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 no. I'm not going to leave town quietly. 
I'm going to leave on my own accord. You know, and, and when they left, uh, this is, and, and they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. When they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and then they departed. So they didn't leave immediately, Acts 16.40. And, and it's allowing the, the people to know that while they are traveling, or, or while they were in, in, in uh, uh, Philippi, that they weren't going to be forced out of there. And we can kind of see that, you know, Paul preached in Thessalonica, and as he was doing that, verses... Uh, 17 or chapter 17 uh, verses 1 through 4 I want to read because we're we're just going to start touching on them it says now they had passed through Amphipholo yeah Amphipholus and Apollonia they came to Thessalonica and there was a synagogue of the Jews and Paul as his manner was went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach to you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. And as we look at this, the travels, I, think, I don't know if you can see up there. He, oh, there it is. There's the dot. Now he was up here. This is some of the travels that he, he made through. And be, between Philippi and Thessalonica down here, it's about, I think, about a four-day traveling. And Scripture doesn't talk about him stopping in, in those two towns. And it was probably a, a day's travel or so between each one of them, and I think it was almost two days to Thessalonica. But when we think about that, why would Paul decide to go to Thessalonica? They could have stopped at the other towns. One of the reasons is it was right on, I think what they call the uh, Aegean, uh, right along the Aegean Sea. And there was a route from uh, Asia over on the way to Rome through Macedonia. So it was a, it was a seaport and one of the things, uh, the, the reasons that he stopped there was it being an area of, of, of a lot of travel that the opportunity to get the gospel out and being a busy trading center, be able to share the gospel with people and those people would, would go out into the rest of the world. And that was kind of his goal. He was looking at those. So, you know, like it says, any new converts from a foreign city would return home and share the gospel there. And we know that during that time, it, it was an ideal uh, strategic location. But he only says he only taught for three Sabbaths. That was where he taught in the synagogue for three Sabbaths. And it's interesting that, you know, here he is. I mean, he was in uh, Philippi and he got beat. Uh, he's going he's gonna to be run out of town here shortly. But why do you think people would have allowed the Apostle Paul to come into their town? Why would you, even, why would you think that they would let him even teach? 
one, he was a Pharisee. And he probably wore his, his Pharisaical robes. So he, he was dressed, so they respected him from that. You know, because the, 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 some of the first converts were, were Jews, right? So, you know, it says, as usual, went to the synagogue and preached uh, to the Jews. And when we, we, we think about those, that, that he used the Old Testament, laid out the law, the prophets, and the books. Of course, they weren't broken up like we have them today. They were broken up in such a way that, that he referenced them. Um, and so as he was looking through there, he showed from the, from, from the Old Testament, the Jews were familiar with that. So go to somebody that's familiar. And him, like I say, being a Pharisee, they said, hey, bring the man in. We want to hear, his, hear what he has to say. Now, I can only imagine, you know, what uh, when he first starts talking, they're probably going to put a pretty keen ear and say, you know, wait a minute. You know, we've heard of this guy. He was out there breathing fire down on Christians. What's, what's made him a little bit different? You know, as he was going through, he would show them that uh, how it had been predicted. In fact, uh, next week I've got a, a, a summary that I, that, that I found and put together that kind of maybe describes what he was talking about, as well as in Acts 13, we're going to review that in a little bit, of probably how he presented his teachings over those three days. And... I can, can imagine that as, as he was going, that, that he's going from passage to passage, I, I don't know if he was opening up the, the scriptures and laying them out or was saying, hey, you know, would you look up such and such? And would you read such and such? And giving them from the foundation that they understood what it meant what all the symbologies that were going on with, with the sacrifices. He was utilizing what was in the, in the scriptures and showing them how it pointed to Christ. You know, and it says, you know, he was, uh, went through and, and, and he attended um, the worships in the synagogue and to, to preach the gospel to his countrymen. And those were the ones that he was thinking to go to first because if they accept it, they'll continue to present the gospel. Uh, Acts 9.20, and says, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Or Acts 13.5, and when they were in Salminas, they preached the word of, God in, word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. Or in Acts 13.14, and when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisida and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And when it talks about in verse 2 where he reasoned with them, it's some people said, well, he argued with them. Well, there are other places where he did argue with them, but here he reasoned with them. He showed them in the scriptures. He says, doesn't this make sense? Why do you think we did all of these sacrifices? Why do you think God chose Israel and then let them go into Egypt 
And then Moses brought them out and they were given this law. And could they keep the law? And he was pointing those things out to them. That as he was saying, he was reasoning with them. And he gave them a, a very educated discourse over three Sundays. It's kind of like most evangelists when you come in. You find most evangelists, they only have you know, just a few sermons that they, they work out of. And feel that's where I'm going to work with this. And I'm going to preach those as I go out this time around. And so, as he was saying, he's opening and alleging from scriptures that Christ's needs must have suffered. And it's, it's not uh, that he was saying, ignore everything you've been doing. He says, no, look at everything you've been doing. Why were you doing them? And, you know, the... As, as he go through this he proclaimed that they suffered and had to be raised from the dead and he was preaching as the Messiah he said wait a minute the prophets talked about him a long time ago he said don't you think that that's maybe who, who we were talking about and as we start into this let's go back to Acts 13 we'll read this and then we're going we're gonna to kind of look at it in a little more depth next week but in chapter 13 and this is a fairly lengthy read but it's important because it, it lays the structure of what he was presenting and I can imagine the first Sabbath day he presented this whole thing some of them got saved I know we gave an invitation and some of them are thinking you know wait a minute I don't know what this guy's talking about here so the next Sabbath he comes in probably teaches the very same thing or something close to that and more get saved and remember you've got Jews that are in there some of them are Judaizers some of them are very set going he's not going to change my mind so we still have to do those works of the law he's telling me that they're not it's not going to take care of what I need to get into heaven and then there were the proselytes the, the Greeks that were became Jews they understood and then of course in verse uh, uh, 4 talks about the the women and these women were not just your average women they were women that had some clout in the town and it says not a few a bunch of them were there so when we look at uh, starting at verse 16 it says then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said men of Israel and ye that fear God give audience in other words He's challenging them, listen to what I have to say. He says, The God of this people of Israel choose our fathers, chose our fathers, and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an high arm brought them out of it. And about the time of forty years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. In other words, God put up with their shenanigans and whining and sniveling and murmuring and then he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan and he, div or he divided their land to them by lot as you walk through that 40 years and he says okay it's time for you to come in and then destroyed the nations in there so they could take over the land and after that he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet and if, we, and if you remember reading through the judges, there were 
they were chosen there so that they could guide and direct the people because what happened when they didn't have a judge? They did what they wanted to do. Hmm. Sound like kind of like what's going on now with some of these people? Because God has been pushed out of churches or out of schools. Some churches God's even pushed out of. God is being pushed out of many things. A lot of our 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 what this country was founded on is being being hidden. And afterward they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years. So Saul was there for forty years. And then he had removed him, and he raised up unto them David to be their king, in whom he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. And when we go through the summer, we're going to find out where we're going to find that, and you read the genealogies in the New Testament and the Gospels, where he came through the lineage of David and how he was to come through, not the man's side, but the woman's side, from the seed of a woman. And of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised into, unto Israel a Savior, Jesus, or a Savior, Jesus. And then John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. We're going to, I'm going to like I say, a summary. They're going to point out he was a forerunner and show where those were were pre, were prophets prophesied. And as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. And the he he's talking about here is Christ. But behold, these, behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. In other words, he's challenging them now. All this was sent so you could come to salvation. Because he's going to show them here in a few verses that the law of Moses isn't going to be good enough for them. For they had dwelled at Jerusalem and their rulers because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day. They have fulfilled them in condemning him. Can you imagine every Sunday reading all the prophets? We wouldn't be here just from 9 to 12, 31 o'clock. No, it was all day, every Sabbath. That's why they gathered. They had meals. Some churches still kind of do that. They have their morning and evening service with a, with a potluck in the middle because a lot of people come from miles around. That's what's happening here. The whole thing was that was built around studying the word. And of course, they didn't have all of Paul's letters at the time. They probably had some of his writings. <clears throat> and though they found no cause for the death in him, yet desired the, they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up to him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings how that promise which was made unto the fathers God had fulfilled the same unto us, their children, 
as he raised him raised up Jesus again and we're going to drop down to the last part of it it says be known unto you uh, verse 38 37 it says but he whom God raised again saw no corruption and just the verse before that talked about David when he went to the grave he was corrupt be it known unto you therefore men and brethren that though this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins and by him that all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses He's laying it out, saying that law was there for a purpose. It's to show you that you can't do it. Beware, therefore, lest that any come upon you, which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, you despisers, and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. So that's so important. And next week, we got, I got a series of questions and going to review this a little bit deeper. But think about, why do people get upset when he preached this? Why do people get upset today when it's being preached? Some churches aren't preaching about the blood. Some churches aren't preaching about sin. Some churches aren't even talking about how to get saved. Other than, oh, do this, do that, do this, do that. They're doing. It's done. I think Brian talked about that a couple weeks ago. We serve a risen Savior. He went to the cross so that we would not have to be doing. It's been done by him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the blessings of your word. Father, we thank you for the truth that you show us in your word. We thank you, Father, that we know that when we accept you as Savior, that we will have eternal life. Our sins have been forgiven. And by accepting you as our Savior, we are assured a place in heaven with you. Father, that's a promise that you give to us. That's the faithfulness that you show to us. That's the mercy that we have been given. And Father, now I pray that each one of us will understand how faithful we must be in our actions as we go on this earth. That not only is faithfulness a noun, but it's how faithful are we? Are we going to go through and perform faithfulness. Father, we thank you now for this. We ask as you take us into the morning services that you be glorified in all that's done. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.